Tom Sumner program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor-comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show. And welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as The Tom Sumner Program. And I always look forward to the... uh, this hour on Fridays as we start the weekend off early, usually with uh, the spotlight on entertainment. And uh, regular listeners know I was a movie fan, especially old movies, long before the pandemic hit. And uh, that's what makes this uh, next hour so fun for me. We're going to talk with the author of numerous theater and film biographies who has a new one coming out uh, very soon. Um, the book uh, coming up, uh, I think it comes out uh, first part of the summer, is uh, Jane Mansfield, The Girl Couldn't Help It by Eve Golden. Eve joins me by phone. Eve, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Why Jane Mansfield? You can't not love Jane Mansfield. I've wanted to do a book on her for years. And the hardest part of any biography is choosing a topic because there are so many I'd love to do but are just undoable. And for a long time I thought, well, the kids aren't really enthusiastic about cooperating, so I'll put it off. And then I realized, well, the only child who really knew Jane was her eldest, Jane Marie, and she had given enough interviews that I was able to use those. And she wasn't actually opposed to a book. She just didn't feel like rehashing it all again, which I totally understand. Jane Mansfield was, in my memory, the quintessential blonde bombshell. She totally was. She was like a drag queen Marilyn Monroe. That's I mean, an she was, 
interesting <laughs> take on it. <laughs> she was bigger. She was bigger than life in many ways, uh, in private and in public, and uh, she just loved, loved, loved being a movie star. Uh, every minute of it. And why is she not um, as as celebrated and remembered as Marilyn? Well. Frankly, she wasn't as talented, and she didn't have as good vehicles. Jane was one of those actresses who could be really good when she had a good script and a good director, but she rarely had both. Can't we all? <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, there are some, there are some performers who can, for instance, uh, as a former really bad actress myself, um, I know that the hardest thing in the world to do is TV commercials because you have terrible scripts and almost no direction. So when I see somebody in a television commercial who really pulls it off and does a great job of it, I'm really impressed, because that's the hardest thing in the world to do. And Jane, um, she made, out of all of her films, I'd say maybe five are really good. And some of them are so bad they're worth watching. I mean, she, she did some really hilariously awful movies. <laughs> Oh, I have a friend in Nashville who uh, talks about um, some of the uh, sound engineers, and and they they record, um, oh, what what do you call it? Uh, sound checks at at various concert venues, and they find people that are doing backup singing parts and isolate the tracks when they're bad and save them and they trade them there's there's like a little underground thing <laughs> of sharing bad performances often by very well-known uh, artists in some cases Ooh. um but uh but but anyway the thing about everything that we've said so far eve about um Jane Mansfield being the quintessential blonde bombshell and, and a horrible, um, well, not horrible, but, but not as talented as other people that she was competing. Oh, she was by no means horrible. If you, if you yeah. see her in The Girl Can't Help It and um, uh, uh, Will Success Spoil Rock Hunter, and she gave a wonderful dramatic performance in The Wayward Bus. And in her last film, uh, Single Room Furnished, it's in three parts. And in the last part, she really gives as good a dramatic performance as she ever did. I, and I, I didn't mean to say horrible. I, I meant to say not as good as some other uh, people that she might have been competing for in terms of roles. Um, you said she was less talented than Marilyn Monroe, certainly And no. Marilyn, by the way, you know, I think she was a really good dramatic actress, but as a comedian, she just had that one shtick. So let's not oversell Marilyn. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Neither one of them are really Meryl Streep. Uh, <laughs> not, true, not, but I don't think not a big Meryl Streep fan, are I we? Love, no, I, ad I adore <laughs> Meryl Streep. You have to adore Meryl Streep or you'll be thrown out of the country. But um, I don't think either one of them wanted to be Meryl Streep. But the point I'm trying to make is that that... Um, that image that Mansfield had um, from her you know, her appearance as the first celebrity in Playboy and um, a nude scene she did in Promises, Promises. Oh, the, Lordy. The whole blonde bombshell image um, it, it makes you think that, that she was an airhead, but she really wasn't. She was really eloquent and intelligent and uh, 
And I don't think she's remembered for that at all. When you look at, you can look up interviews with her on YouTube, and she's obviously, this is not scripted, she's just answering questions, and her vocabulary and the way she expresses herself, and when she's not using her, you know, her Janie voice, uh, she's really astonishingly well-spoken and intelligent, uh, which makes it all the more infuriating that she made. If there was a bad decision to be made, she made it. And I just at times <laughs> wanted to go back and just shake her and go, Janie, don't do it. But, you know, her husbands and her eldest daughter and her friends and her agents all tried to, you know, shake some sense into her, and they couldn't do it either. What... Um why why was that was there something she was was trying to do or someplace she wanted to be or go that that um she lived in a in a little pink bubble all of her own world and whatever Janie wanted Janie got she could be a real steamroller uh to uh her her kids and her husbands and uh her agents and if she wanted it it was the correct thing to do and there was no talking her out of it, and that led to many disasters. Was was there a, a, a method to her madness, or did she just think because of that pink bubble she was in that that somehow she was owed everything? Not owed everything. Uh, she worked very, very hard. Um, she never really had a home, even though she had that wonderful pink palace in in uh, Los Angeles. She lived on the road. Uh, she lived on the road and she died on the road. I mean, she uh, did films overseas. She did tours. She was, um, uh, she was like one of those old Elizabethan traveling players. So she worked and worked and worked. She rarely, even when she took a vacation, it was always a working vacation. How did she start out? What, what was her background? What led to her... Well, she and I are from the same hometown, which I kind of like. Uh, she was born in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, but she grew up in New Jersey and Texas. And from the minute she saw her first movie, she wanted to be a movie star. Uh, she wanted to be an actress, too, but she wanted to be a movie star even more. So by the time she was in her teens, uh, she did not have a stage mother. Um, she did this all herself. And she married and had a child very young. And her husband agreed that when uh, he got out of the Army that they would go to Los Angeles and she would try to be an actress, and he never thought it would come to anything, and boy, was he in for a surprise. Yeah, I guess. Although she did some stage work when um, uh, she was living in uh, Austin, and she attended classes at the university at Austin, and she did a lot of stage work, and surprisingly, she was really good on stage because she loved the contact with the audience. Um, she did stage work throughout her career, and she just loved the give and take uh, with the audience. She had that, that love coming at her over the footlights. Was she somebody who maybe might have, I don't know, some people are, are better with a live audience, and some people are better with film, with musicians. It's live performance versus studio. Um, it, was there maybe a missed road that, that she should have taken? Well, with better handling and training, she had a nice little singing voice, but after she left Fox, she stopped really working at training it and coaching it, and you can't sing without constant coaching. After she but, lost who? 
Uh, after she left 20th Century Fox. Oh, okay. She no longer had the, the uh, training in the background, so she was working but not really working on her singing voice. So you can hear in some of her films she has quite a nice little voice, but by the time she was doing cabaret acts in the 1960s, it had kind of turned into a whisper. But, yes, yeah, she could have done um, uh, cabaret acts, and she did Las Vegas very successfully uh, three times. So her career, I, I always thought that there were two points in her career. One, before she did Rock Hunter on Broadway and became the Janie we all know and love, she was doing um, kind of film noir sort of roles. And I think her career might have gone in that direction. She could have done sort of Shelley Winters or, or um, Elizabeth Scott sort of roles. And then in 1959, she went to England and did two film crime dramas, and she was quite good in those and had she stayed in England she might have made a nice little career doing dramas in England but didn't work out that way so she didn't always play the dumb blonde not at all no this is fascinating uh, and and um I I can't help thinking that when you titled the book Jane Mansfield the girl couldn't help it she that, couldn't <laughs> that that was that that was fully tongue-in-cheek it totally was I mean it's obviously <laughs> it's the title of one of her most famous films but really she couldn't help it she was driven and as I said you could not talk sense into her whatever she wanted she wanted and she got you know it's it's hard not to compare her to um to Marilyn Monroe um, and Marilyn Monroe, as we all know, had kind of a dark side. Well, of course, Fox hired her as a threat to Marilyn in uh, 1950, late 1955, early 56, because Marilyn was a real pain in the neck, obviously. Yeah. We'll, we'll get another one looks just like you. <laughs> oh, my God. Exactly. We'll get one. She was imitating Marilyn on Broadway, and Jane was a company player. She did what the studio told her to do. She showed up on time. She learned her lines. Uh, she never complained about working late. And even the um, co-stars who really derided her, some of her co-stars were really nasty about her talent. They all admitted she was totally professional and a delight to work with. And Marilyn was not. And and, and that's what I was kind of getting at, is that, that Marilyn had this dark side. And I was going to ask if if there was a dark side to, to Jane Mansfield at all. Later... Uh, Towards like the mid to late 60s, she was, there was a desperation growing in because even she had to admit that things were not going well and she did develop a drinking problem and she did accept um, both films and stage appearances that were not a good idea. So things were not going well and had she not died, you always want to think, well, things would have turned around and everything would have turned out all right, but this was a downward spiral. I don't see how she could have pulled out of. Uh, I, I interviewed her third husband, and he said that he tried to help her with her drinking problem, but she would not admit she had a problem. Yeah, and that's always the, the first step. Um, Eve, I have to take a break here. Can you sure. stick around for a few minutes oh, so we I can talk some to. more? Sure. Uh, I love old movies and, and old film stars, as you do, and, and this is a real treat for me. So uh, my guest is... Uh, is Eve Golden, and mm -hmm. uh, the book is Jane Mansfield, The Girl Couldn't Help It, and uh, 
as far as taking breaks, I can't help it either. <laughs> um, we're going to take a short one. We'll be back with Eve Golden right after this. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling authors, photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490.
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner program.com. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with um, Eve Golden, the author of Jane Mansfield, The Girl Couldn't Help It. Hello. You know, one point I want to make about Jane is how really genuinely nice and sweet and interested in people she was. You, I really came away from this liking her. I mean, I try to only write books about people I like and whose work I like, but I came from away from this just wanting to go out to lunch with her. Um, two things stood out is... One reporter went to a press conference, prepared to tear her to shreds, hated her work, hated everything <laughs> about her, and wrote in an article about how mean all the other reporters were to her and insulting right to her face and how beautifully she handled it and didn't fall apart and came away saying, you know, I still hate her work, but this is one of the nicest people I've ever met. And... uh a teenage girl, when Jane was in shooting in New York, a teenage fan saw her out on the street and said, oh, can I have your autograph? And Jane didn't have any pictures, so she invited the girl and her sister up to her apartment, gave them tea, gave them pictures, and she said she didn't talk about herself at all. She asked about them and about school and what they were doing, and they said it was just like having lunch with a girlfriend. And she was, you know, for all her problems, she was just such a nice person. That's amazing. I, and I was going to ask, now she has a body of work, and as you mentioned in the last segment, um, and, and um, by the way, I, I wanted to thank you for sticking around, Eve, and sorry to make you sit through that. Oh, are break. you kidding? I, I, I lose no opportunity to slap my yap at any chance. I've not <laughs> shut up since the day I was born. Um, I, I got a feeling we're going to have to stay pretty much on track because I think you and I could uh, take off and talk about. Oh, we could go on for and, hours. Exactly. <laughs> um, but what I uh, what I wanted to ask is, uh, aside from her body of work and, and the interviews on YouTube and, and things that you referenced in the last segment, has much been written about her? There's been a lot written about her, and uh, I am never going to badmouth any other book by any other biographer. I say go out and get them all. You know, the more the merrier. Um, but I had my own point of view, uh, you know, as a film historian and uh, as a former very bad actress, I, can, I, can, I, I know what goes on on a movie set and on stage. So having been a bad actress helps me write about good acting. And uh, that, that, that's been a real help to me. But um, it's not so much the subject is what you do with it. You can take the same biographical subject and have two different writers approach it from completely different angles and in different voices. So there are other books about Jane, and I say buy mine first, but buy those too. <laughs> well, well put, Eve. Um, is there is is there a thread through the books you've written about? Um, theater and film biographies is are, are there certain criteria that people meet to end up in an Eve Golden book? Oh my God, it is so hard to choose a topic. Uh, it has to be somebody on whom I don't think there's been a definitive work before. It has to be somebody who a publisher will take. I mean, you know, 
uh, I can I can think of a whole bunch of people I'd like to write about, but no publisher would be interested, and they would sell about six copies. Um, it has to be someone on whom there's enough documentary evidence, you know, to write about. Uh, there are people like Bert Savoy, for instance, the first modern drag performer. I would love to do a book about him, but there's nothing out there on him. No letters, no scrapbooks. Uh, has to be somebody who can interest me and I can have for a roommate for like two or three years. Um, someone whose work I like and who I don't hate as a person. So really, as I say, choosing a subject is the hardest part of any biography. And how do you, how does it happen? How does it, how do you decide? Are you... Well, they have to grab me. Um, I mean, are you sitting at home, you know, binge-watching the uh, classic movie channel, see Jane Mansfield and go, you know, I should write a book about Jane. Well, that kind of happened with John Gilbert because I had never thought of writing a book about him and I was flipping through a book about old movies and I saw John Gilbert and the little light bulb went on and I went, gee, I really like him. He's had a really interesting life and the only book about him was by his daughter. He's never really been the subject of a, you know, a real hard biography and sometimes it happens just like that. Um, Jean Harlow, uh, Theda Barra, these are people I'd always been interested in, and fortunately nobody had really gotten to them before I did. Now, w when you do a, a book about someone like Jane Mansfield, um, and you said that uh, her family wasn't all that cooperative with your efforts to do this biography. How do you get the information uh, that you feel you can rely on to tell the story? Oh, my God, there's, there's with uh, digitized newspapers and magazines, there's like, even during a uh, uh, pandemic, there's a wealth of information I could get uh, watching her films and watching her on YouTube, of course, and I was able to do a lot of interviews. Uh, I interviewed people who worked with her. Uh, I interviewed one of her boyfriends, one of her husbands, uh, some of her co-workers. Um, Lonnie Anderson was delightful. She played her in a TV movie in 1980, and she just gave me some great funny stories about shooting that. So I was able to get some interviews, and as I say, fortunately, Jane Marie, her eldest daughter, had given a lot of interviews to the press before, so I was able to use those. Now, sometimes, like with Anna Held, who died in 1918, obviously there was nobody alive who knew her. So I had to go completely from secondhand sources. And on the other hand, with Kay Kendall, I had access to her sister and a lot of her coworkers. And when you when you do those interviews, um, what what do you ask someone who was married to Jane Mansfield? That's touchy because you have to, <laughs> you, you really have to realize you're talking about someone's life. And uh, for instance, Matt Simber, who was her third husband, has always kind of been painted as the bad guy. Uh, you know, oh, the guy who took her away from Mickey Hargitay and ruined her career. And that's just not true at all. Um, he's a very nice guy, smart and funny, and was an experienced theater director. And he tried to help her. He tried to get her out of the crappy movies and into stage productions, tried to get her to stop drinking. And uh, I was able to get some, some really nice insights from him about her. 
But you- it is very touchy when you're when you're talking to people, not to say the wrong thing. I had um, Irene Selznick hang the ph- phone up on me when I was doing the Jean Harlow book because uh, she called me. I was completely unprepared. She was a friend of Jean's and of her husband, Paul Burns, and got some great stuff out of her, and then I made the mistake of mentioning Paul Byrne, and she said, I've talked to you quite enough, young lady. I've told you more than I intended to. <laughs> <And that was laughs> <that. laughs> um, you mentioned Nick Hargitay. What about uh, Marissa Hargitay? Um, did, did you try to reach out to her at all? I did, and she wasn't opposed to the book, but did not feel like cooperating with it. And I totally understand, because... Uh, she's been burned a lot. People have said awful things about her mother. People have said ridiculous things about her mother. And uh, I can see where she would be very gun-shy of this, so I do not blame her at all. Uh, I really hope she and the other kids like the book, and I did keep in mind the whole time I was writing it, she has a family, you know. Every time I'm saying something, remember, her children are going to read this. That's not to say I covered anything up or whitewashed anything, but on the other hand, you know, don't be mean. She's got a family. And and how big is that family? How many times was she married? How many kids did she She's have? She's married three times, and she had five children. Uh, she, loved, she loved being a mother. She was not... <laughs> it's funny, there's a, a kind of a dirty joke in, in um, The Girl Can't Help It, where she's holding these two milk bottles and standing over Tom Ewell and saying... Some people think I'm not equipped for motherhood. <laughs> typical. But she really wasn't equipped for motherhood. She, was, uh, she thought being a good mother meant having all of her children with her constantly 24-7, whether it was good for them or not. So rather than when she went off on location, rather than having the kids stay with their father, she would drag them along with her. And, you know, she meant well, but that was really not the way to go. Another example of making a bad choice. Really, she she meant well. She she would be horrified if she heard me say that that she was not really the best of mothers because she really wanted to be. But that's why her three of her children were in the car with her the night she died was because she was dragging them along to these uh, nightclub stands that she was doing in the middle of the night in in Louisiana when they should have been home with their father. How did she die? Died in it dreadful car crash, which is very terrible, but it does make for an interesting book. Um, She died a really horrible movie star death, which um, Mm. it's kind of a a, a classic Jane Mansfield death, you know? You could almost see it coming. The good thing about it is she died instantly. Uh, She and her boyfriend and the driver um, were driving at night in uh, Louisiana, much too fast along a road that was known for multiple car accidents. Uh, There was newspaper articles years before she died about how dangerous that stretch of road was. And uh, they rear-ended a trailer, and the car went under the trailer, and the three people in front were killed instantly. I have 60 pages of police reports, so I know exactly what happened and how, and how all of them were injured in different ways and why. Uh, Because the driver tried to turned to the left at the last second, which is why Jane was actually the most injured of everyone in the car, because she was sitting in the passenger seat. And um, were, were there kids in the car as well? Mariska, yeah, Mariska and two of her brothers were in the back seat and were, were injured, but um, uh, Mariska still has a scar on her forehead from that, that, in, from that accident. 
Um, but they were very lucky. They were asleep in the back seat. And one thing I found out from the police reports is when they first started out from the nightclub, the three kids were in the front seat. And Jane and her boyfriend, who had a broken leg, which is why he was not driving, were in the back seat. And they stopped for snacks, and the kids retired, so Jane put them all in the back seat, which is what saved their lives. And Jane never would have survived if, the, if her children had been killed and she hadn't been. That She wouldn't have survived that. Hmm. When um, now you mentioned some some uh, good performances and bad performances by Jane Mansfield, and and talked about some of her interviews being available on YouTube and so on. Um, for someone whose curiosity has peaked, uh, as has mine, um, what what are some things that you think um, people could, could look up and, and watch to, well, to get a to good body of work? The Wild Wild World of Jane Mansfield is one of the most hilariously awful high-camp films you'll ever see. <laughs> it was a documentary done after she died using uh, home movies and travel logs that she did in 1964, some of them with Mickey. And that's not her voice. Uh, Carolyn de Fonseca, who did voiceovers for some of her foreign films, does the voice. So when you hear, hi, I'm Jane Mansfield at the beginning, that's not Jane Mansfield. But it is so awful and camp and hilarious that you must see that. Um, now, as far as her bad films, uh, I recommend Loves of Hercules with Nikki as Hercules and Janie playing three different roles, and it's just so bad, it's wonderful. Um, good films, uh, her three for Fox, I would say that The Girl Can't Help It, Well, Success Spoil, Rock Hunter, and The Wayward Bus uh, are easily available. Um, as far as interviews, just look up Jane Mansfield interview on YouTube, and there's a lot of them out there, and they're very surprising. There's one she did when she came back from entertaining in Vietnam about six months before she died, and she's talking about visiting the hospitals, and she's absolutely in tears about what she saw there, and it's mm. a side of Jane that you just never see. And those were that, that was part of uh, the Bob Hope tour? Uh, no, this was after Bob Hope. This was when um, in uh, the spring of 1967, she okay. and her last boyfriend went on a tour of um, Southeast Asia and uh, visited a lot of army camps. And some of the soldiers were not happy to see her. Um, some of them loved her, and some of them were saying, basically, why are they sending over these Hollywood stars when we just want to get out of here? Um, <laughs> but yeah. uh, she gets this, this, she's very disheveled looking and, and just crying during this interview about how horrible the thing she saw over there was. And it's, again, something you don't think of when you think of Jane Mansfield. No, you really don't. Um, and and I mentioned, and you kind of uh, grimaced when I <laughs> talked about her nude scene in Promises, Promises. Oh, it's such a bad film. Um, this was a huge mistake. That that whole year, she, that's the year she did the, um, when she was on the set, they took the nude photos for Playboy, which she denied again and again. I had no idea they were taking those photos for publication. She signed a contract. Come on. <laughs> And uh, well, and why why would she do that? I don't know. Mickey didn't know. Her agent didn't know. 
there's just no telling what, as a matter of fact, and I ask in the book is you have to think, what was she thinking? Uh, Tommy Noonan was the co-star and the producer, and he was a real steamroller, and he talked her into this cheap, terrible film. Um, Maria McDonald is in it as well, and she's very good, and uh, Mickey is in it, and Mickey, bless his heart, he was a sweet guy, he was wonderful for Jane, he was not an actor, so that's, <laughs> that's a little bit painful. Um, it's just such a bad film, and she does these three very brief nude scenes, which are worked into the plot. She's coming out of the shower, she's in bed, you know, they're not just her prancing around nude, but they're repeated again and again and again throughout the film, which I'm sure she didn't know was going to happen. So that, that really... Uh, but in some ways, she, in some ways, she kind of um, blazed a path toward Playboy for future celebrity appearances in that. Well, magazine. she did. She loved Playboy, and Playboy loved her because they they both loved and needed the publicity. So Hugh Hefner was absolutely delighted with her. Uh, until he dropped her, like um, he, she became just too embarrassing for Playboy by like the mid 1960s, and and they dropped her, which is the same with Fox. Fox dropped her because um, uh, Marilyn Monroe and mostly Elizabeth Taylor's Cleopatra was bankrupting Fox in 1962, so they fired a lot of people and they sent Jane out for cheap loan out films so that they could get the money out of her. I am still angry. Have you ever seen the film The Best of Everything, 1959? Oh, that name is familiar, but I, 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 I can't really place it. I'll it. check it out. One of Joan Crawford's best roles. She plays the mean boss. And <laughs> there's three, three secretaries, and one of them is a bad actress played by Susie Parker, who, again, I love Susie Parker, but she could not act. And this would have been a perfect role for Jane. Uh, she really could have done a good job with this, and she was signed to Fox, and all these years later, I'm still mad at Fox for not putting her in that role. Oh, that's funny. Um, so in in the process of, of doing this book, I, I was really taken with your statement early on in our conversation, Eve, when you said that you really came away from the book liking Jane Mansfield very much. And I don't always hear that from biographers. Um, you do occasionally, but... Uh, How do you write about somebody you don't like? I mean, I don't understand people who can write about Hitler. How can you spend like five years with Hitler? I don't get that. I don't either, but yet we need people who do that. I guess so, but I'm not going to be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm now, I'm, when I say I write about people I like, I do not whitewash them. My job is to tell the truth, and sometimes... Almost invariably in a book, I find something that makes me wince, and I think, oh, do I really have to put this in the book? Can I leave this out? And I have to put it in the book. I can't leave it out. That's my job. But, but you made it sound like you were a little surprised by how much you liked her. I did. I thought she was more of a mess personally than she was. Uh, I hadn't realized until reading the interviews and watching the YouTube interviews how really nice and sweet and intelligent and genuinely interested in other people she was. What's next, Eve? After Velez. After uh, Mansfield comes out, which I'm, is, what, in June? Uh, late June's coming out. I'm working on a book on Lupe Velez, which uh, I is due at the publisher at the end of the year, and I think I'm going to make it. 
um, Lupe was, wow. Um, <laughs> she was one of the first three big Mexican-American stars in movies. Her, Raymond Navarro, and Dolores Del Rio all got started in the 1920s. And uh, incredibly talented actress. She could do anything. And for various reasons, both because of her accent and that she was kind of nuts and um, had a very colorful private life. Thus and the also, name Loopy? Oh, my God. She was, <laughs> she was, she was oh, boy. She was a real, oh, she, she was a card. <laughs> uh, so she's very interesting to write about. Uh, incredibly talented. And if she'd had a, she freelanced. And she never had a long-term studio contract. She could have been Garbo. As far as I'm concerned, she was more wow. talented and more versatile than Garbo and just as gorgeous. Uh, she could uh, do drama. She could do comedy. She was a singer, wonderful singer. And such a waste she wound up in these crappy B films. Why should we get to know these people better in this day and age? Well, not only do I, I like my books to take you out of yourself for a few hours and um, be entertaining. I'm not trying to make any great statement about, you know, politics or history or films or anything like that. I want my books to be entertaining. Uh, I want them to be funny. I mean, even when there's tragedy in my books, I, I want you to laugh out loud at certain points. And it's just an interesting story about interesting people. And that's, that's basically what it boils down to. Well, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to the Jane Mansfield book, and now you've got me wanting to to look up her interviews on YouTube, which I will oh, probably be to. doing soon because <laughs> I spend an awful lot of time in front of the screen these days. Yeah, the only thing I like about the 21st century is YouTube. The rest of it you can keep, but I do have <laughs> that's that's funny, Eve. I I can't believe how fast the time has gone by, and I'm really having fun talking with you. And I hope we get. Yeah, I've had a swell time. I I hope we can get a chance to talk again uh, in the future when uh, your next book comes out. And um, and and I hope you keep up the the good work. But I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, well, and future. EveGolden.com is my website, and um, that's about it. I don't, I don't really like people knowing too much about me because I want them to concentrate on my work. Uh, if I ever say anything about politics or religion or sex or anything, I'm going to lose half my readers, you know? So I like to keep my mouth shut about me and just just let people concentrate on on my subject. Well, and and I I try to follow that same principle. And no matter yeah, you open your mouth about anything and half the world hates you no matter what you say. Sometimes I'll post something on Facebook that's very controversial and I'll, Oh, I I'll, am not on social media at all. And I, I and I, I'll, I'll just make a comment like, "Hmm," and then watch the comments as people argue over this thing I've posted and it I do it for my own entertainment. Actually. I have made it my life's work to not be on social media. Well, well, good for you. I I hope you start a trend. <laughs> Eve, thanks so much for spending this time with me this morning. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Take care. You too. That was uh, Eve Golden. She uh, is the author of numerous theater and film biographies. Her uh, newest coming out uh, in June, uh, late June, she said, Jane Mansfield, 
the girl couldn't help it. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with the final segment of today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Stay tuned. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The Unknown Comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Today. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is your Hollywood reporter, Don Hinckley, at the premiere of what is probably the most talked about motion picture of all time, the story of the great love between the handsome Roman general and the Egyptian queen. We're hoping to interview the beautiful star of this epic. And... I, I, I think we're in luck. Yes, yes, we are in luck. Here comes that great beauty now. Excuse me, would you like to say hello to your millions of fans? My name, Jose Jimenez. <laughs> hello to your millions of fans. Of course, uh, everyone here knows the name of your picture, but I'm sure you'd like to mention it again. The name of my picture is Digit Goes Egyptian. <laughs> I always thought the uh, title of the picture was Cleopatra. Oh, no, no, no. Cleopatra is the name of our coming attraction. <laughs> coming attraction? That's right. Well, that picture cost $40 million. That's nothing. I was cost $100,000. Well, that's not so much. For a ticket? <laughs> you, do you mean that you're charging $100,000 for one ticket? Why, that's I couldn't right. afford to see that picture. Would you like a free pass? <laughs> yes, I would. That'll be $10,000. How much did the picture actually cost to make? Including lunches. Why, why should lunches be so expensive? Do you know what it costs to smuggle corned beef into Egypt? I guess costumes uh, must have cost you a fortune. Oh, costumes, my goodness. They... Costumes alone cost $50 million. I imagine uh, Cleopatra's costume was the most expensive. No, there we saved money. <laughs> Eight yards of saran wrap and some beads was all, all didn't, we needed for that. Didn't they uh, try to save money at all? Yes, we tried to save money at all. For example, one time we had this thing, you know, that was going on in a beautiful alabaster hall. And we had 30,000 dancing girls running around. And we had 20,000 musician people playing golden harps. And we had 40,000 slave girls pouring wine. Well, how did that save money? We used paper cups. <laughs> uh, that must have been the famous orgy scene? No, that was the famous coffee break. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, we swung on a set there. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I gotta tell you one thing. That the picture has a surprised ending. 
so nobody will be seated during the last five hours. Well, it's obviously a very long movie, but uh, yes. do you plan to have intermissions? Yes, one intermission. Wednesday. <laughs> you guys can take Wednesday off. You mean the show lasts a whole week? Yes, if you see the cartoon. Cartoon? Yes, Ben-Hur. <laughs> Mickey Mouse plays Ben and Minnie plays her. Exactly how long have you been uh, working on this picture? Well, quite a while, because we had a delay one time. We had to lay off on account of the noise. What noise? World War II. <laughs> we had those tiger tanks going there. We were straight. It was really terrible. And then it was these guys with the pointed helmets. Jose. <laughs> Maybe it was World War I. <laughs> Sir, let's talk about your co-star's salary. I understand it's an astronomical figure. She certainly has. <laughs> I, you I, notice that. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about I'm her salary. I'm glad to see her observe. Oh, your, her salary. Yes. Yes, yes. Well, you talk about what you want to talk about, and I'll talk about what I want. I understand that she makes $8,000 a day. Now, that's more than most people isn't make in a some, year. Isn't that something? $8,000 a day. Yeah. It's a lot of Boy, money. Sure. But is she really happy? Boy, is she happy. <laughs> You never heard such giggling in your life. It comes from that girl on payday, and you can hear it all the way across the street. But, Jose, yes. money doesn't buy happiness. No, but for $8,000 a day, you could rent it. Now that you've mentioned your beautiful co-star, I wonder if you'd answer the question the whole world is asking. I would be delighted to, as long as they don't ask it at once. Let them ask you one at a time. Let's start with India, if you want right. There's a lot of people over there. The question is... Yes? Are you going to marry your co-star? I would have to say it this time, and you can quote me on this, and I don't care if you quote me word for word and even better. I will marry the woman I love. You will? I always do. <laughs> I don't know what I could tell you about how much I love her. I would climb the top of the highest mountain. I would crawl on my little belly across all of the desert in the hot desert, and I would go across the most ragging rivers for her. When will you see her next? Tonight, if it doesn't rain. <laughs> Listen, you know, I got my good toga on. I don't want to spoil it. Jose, what would you say was your biggest problem in the picture? I would say my biggest problem in the picture was the asp. The uh, asp? Yes. You mean the snake? Yes, the snake asp, yes. <laughs> you see, that is snake. Had to come around and hug Cleopatra real tight and coil around her and come up and bite her right on the neck, you see? And it was my job to teach that asp how to do that. So, so, so what's wrong with that? He got it right the first time. I told him nobody likes a smart asp. <laughs> 
this was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Spreading like a plague And POTUS and his lackeys Have been nothing if not vague Well then you've got to trust the CDC And listen well Unless you want to bid our free society Farewell There is a Super bad transmittable Contagious awful virus And if we don't act quick And social distance it will mire us In a stretch of quarantine That lasts until July A super bad transmittable Contagious awful virus and if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docs were busy overseas with World War I. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the last until July. A super bad, transmittable, Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. From the Thompson Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of uh, the Tom Sumner Program. I'm about to head down the hall to the living room for the weekend. But I'll be back Monday with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. I hope it goes as fast and is as interesting as today's show was. I want to say thanks to uh, all of the guests I had. Eve Golden, the author of uh, numerous theater and film biographies, talking about her upcoming book, Jane Mansfield, The Girl Can't Help It. Or the girl couldn't help it. And um, also want to say thanks to Judith Halbrick, who is the uh, CEO and founder of Home of Champions in New York, housed in the uh, uh, place uh, that had the uh, practice uh, boxing arena for Floyd Patterson and later Muhammad Ali. And she's the author of The Audacity to be Divine, A Soul's Journey Towards Illumination. And then a very interesting conversation with the uh, author of a book called Honey on the Page, A Treasury of Yiddish Children's Literature, Rabbi, Mother, and Professor of Yiddish Language and Literature at Emory University, Miriam Udell. What a great show. Anyway, that's it for me. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. 
Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.